0: We're going to read together God's Word, starting uh, our new series today, looking through the book of 1 Thessalonians. It's a letter in the New Testament. I'm going to read the whole of chapter 1, which is verses 1 to 10. This is God's Word. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly, mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word with much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turn from God to idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. As I mentioned a few moments ago, we're starting this evening a new series called Transforming Community, based on this letter, the first letter to the Thessalonians. And uh, during the course of the next eight weeks or so, we're going to be looking at the role, the power, the signs of transforming community, transforming community. It is that transforming community, and it's got a, the title. I hope com- conveys two things. I want to try and get across in the next eight weeks. Transforming community is that community that, if you are a member of, if you're a part of it, then it transforms you. You experience transformation in the transforming community. But transforming community also conveys the idea that it transforms our understanding of community by what we learn as we study through the book of 1 Thessalonians. It was written in about AD 50, uh, which was really early. It's one of Paul's, if not Paul's, earliest letters. uh, Literally something like 20 years after the the, the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. So within living memory, there are loads of people who knew, who heard, who saw Jesus uh, teach, And so this is a very early letter and it tells us a remarkable amount of stuff about the church at that stage. But the interesting thing is, and this this will become clear as we go through this series, the interesting thing is, unlike a lot of the churches that are addressed in the New Testament, the church of Thessalonica didn't appear to have any obvious problems within the camp. There was no big doctrinal faults there's no immoral lifestyles taking hold within the church. And so when we come to this book of 1 Thessalonians, uh, what we are doing is listening to Paul's teaching, what he considers to be essential and important for a young, small and healthy church. And we see time and again through the letter, Paul says to the church of Thessalonica, look, you're, you're doing these things already, but I, I'm writing to you that you might go further that you might push deeper, that you may lean deeper into transforming community. And so for us today at Foundation Church, we're in, I think, a very similar situation to that of the church in Thessalonia. We are a young church. We are fresh, I think. We are new to the faith. We're excited. And so this message from Paul, really through the Holy Spirit to us today, is keep going. Keep doing what you're doing and push in. Press into one another. Go deeper through transforming community. And so today uh, kind of marks a bit of an intro to the series. Uh, We're looking at the the, the marks of transforming community, I suppose we could say, the building blocks of transforming community. The next few weeks, we're gonna be looking at what goes on inside, all the, the intricate workings and how it looks. But today, it's the building blocks. You need these four things in order to have transforming community, okay? These four things, number one, Transforming community originates in God. Number two, transforming community is birthed by the Word and the Spirit. Number three, transforming community is resilient in adversity. And transforming community, number four, is attractive to outsiders. So let's take the first part transforming community originates in God and this might sound self-evident to you particularly if you're a church person and and you've been with us for a while um, at Foundation Church but it just needs to be stated because Paul states it in such a way transforming community originates in God if we don't emphasize that at the start of our new series and all this talk about community we can get sidetracked into the thing itself and forget that it belongs to God. That is from him. That's where it starts. It's his idea. It's not our idea or our cleverness. It's his. It originates in God. The church, of course, is not the only place that offers community. The world, everything else outside the church offers many forms of community. So we're not saying we have the only form and everything else is rubbish. Not at all. Community around all sorts of uh, common commonalities is formed out in the world. Uh, around a common ethnic group, such as the Chinese community, we say, or the Lithuanian community. There may be community formed around a vocation, the art community, for example, the medical community. There may be community around a common experience, the LGBT community, for example. There may be community forming around good causes, such as fundraising, working in charities, bringing people together. All of these things are forms of community. But as my contention, and I hope that the scriptures will, will help us to see this and understand it as we go on. Although very strong support networks are available in some form outside the church, they lack the ultimate power and the deep cohesion of transforming community as the Bible would teach us. Let me just describe a little bit of what I mean. Look down at verse 1. The letter is written from Paul, Silvanus and Timothy, three of them. Probably Paul was the chief writer, but he was writing on behalf of the missionary team, the three of these people together. Silvanus is otherwise known as Silas in the book of Acts. He's a a leader from the very early church of Jerusalem. So Paul and Silvanus are sort of peers, you know, they're they're both uh, on the same level, if you like. Timothy is the understudy to Paul. He's a younger man. He's the trainee. He's the one that... uh, that Paul often sends off to other churches on his behalf to gather information and to teach and to come back. So the three of them, anyway, sit behind this letter and Paul addresses to the church of Thessalonica in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. See, that word in is incredibly important. What does it mean? What does it mean for a church to be in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ? When Paul uses this word in, in God, in Christ. He refers to this organic union between the church and God. When we went through our series a few months ago called Behold What Love through the book of 1 John, uh, John used slightly different terminology. He referred to fellowship. And so it's, it's a similar concept that Paul is getting at here. This deep, organic fellowship, this union with God. Jesus used the analogy of the vine and the branches to describe what this looked like. He said, I'm the vine and you people, you believers are the branches. That's what it looks like to be in me. Paul elsewhere used the analogy of a body, the members of a body joined together, functioning together under the head, which is Jesus. This is the church that is in God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a defining fact for the transforming community of the church of Thessalonica. They are who they are, Because God is who he is. They owe their existence to him. They are spiritually or mystically connected to the divine. Paul says elsewhere in Acts 17, in him, that is in God, we live and move and have our being. And it's the same for us here today, of course. Um, It is easily forgotten, very easily forgotten, but that's why we have to get this point down deep at the start of our series that transforming community originates in God in fact I would be willing to bet that all of our church problems all the problems that a church could possibly ever have stem from a failure to understand that the church is in God if we are living wrong lives it's because we forgot we're in God if we are behaving wrongly and bringing shame to the name of Jesus, it's because we have forgotten we're in God. If we are feeling powerless as Christians, it's because we have forgotten that we're in God. If we, it's because we are failing to deal with sin in our church, it's because we've forgotten that we're in God. Originates in God, and then he goes on to say, "Grace and peace to you." What does that mean? Grace is, is God's undeserved favor upon you says Paul, to the church, and peace, that wholeness, that healing, that shalom is the Hebrew term. Peace be with you through the reconciling work of Jesus on the cross. Grace and peace be upon you. You can start to see why other forms of community lack transforming power. But then he continues on uh, in verse four. Brothers loved by God, he says, He says, you're in God spiritually and united to the divine, grace and peace to you. But, he says, brothers and therefore sisters, he's referring to all of the people in the church, you are loved by God. They're in God, you're loved by God, and then he goes on, he has chosen you. He has chosen you. You can see how love and God's choice come together. Sometimes people refer to the electing love of God. God chooses to put his love onto people and and sometimes uh, as christians and perhaps even those outside the church we tend to get a bit upset on the subject of god's election god's choice it's not fair we would say Why, why is it that some people are elected to receive love and others are not why doesn't god love everybody how narrow people will say how restrictive often we come to this this view of election without really understanding and taking time to understand what the Bible teaches about election. And this is not really a sermon on election or or the theology, whatever. But, suffice to say, the people are chosen, as Paul teaches here, out of God's love. It is because of his love for them that they are chosen. I heard... uh, a story once from a pastor who worked in the Philippines. He's an American pastor, but he worked in the Philippines, and he he, he worked uh, among modern-day female slaves, uh, street workers. And he talks about a a woman who was rescued from a life of working on the street. Let's call her Lily, Lily. And she heard the gospel of Jesus. But the thing for her that really transformed her life was that she heard that God chose her to love, for her to be his daughter. And when she heard this truth, she was overcome with tears, overcome with with joy. Because she had felt that someone like her was too sinful, someone like her was too dirty. But when she heard that she had been chosen by God for him to love her, that he wanted her, it just transforms her life. So when God chooses you to love you, to unite himself to you, then he places you in his transforming community to continue to receive his grace and his peace. So first of all, transforming community, the first building block, if you like, is that it originates in God. It's his idea. It flows from him because of his electing love for his people. But secondly, number two, transforming community is birthed by the word and spirit. And as we, as we see here in later times in the letter as well, Paul recounts his experience, the experience that he and Silvanus and Timothy had when they first met the Thessalonian church, the, the, uh, as they came to hear the good news about Jesus. and and they came to believe and trust in Jesus as their saviour. He says down in verse 5, our gospel came to you in word. The gospel came to you in word. The good news, that is the gospel, the good news has, has content. It is a message. And the message is this, God sent his only son, to die on the cross, to bear the sins of his people, to turn them to himself, to show them his love. And he raised Jesus on the third day so that we can receive eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the word. That is the the basic content of the message. Let me just be clear with you. If you've heard this term gospel spoken of quite a lot, let me just be clear. The gospel is not that God exists. And that he loves you. The gospel is not that God has a great plan for your life if you just behave like Jesus. The gospel is not that you can come and join a transforming community. It is all of those, uh, all those things are wonderful and true and right, but they are not the gospel. The gospel is about Jesus Christ, his person, who he is, his work, what he did. As your substitutes, dying for you, giving his perfection to you so that you can stand whole before God as an adopted son or daughter. The gospel is based on objective historical events that happened one day in Palestine several thousand years ago. And it's when they heard this word and received this word and trusted in this word, the transforming community was birthed among them but you probably saw in verse 5, Paul says, for you, uh, the gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. That is how the gospel came to those at Thessalonica. Now, we, we don't know what that power looked like, It was the gospel coming in or with visible tangible experiential signs in power and with deep conviction in the preaching it could have been that it could have been that when paul and, and his friends were preaching the good news of jesus this deep power this weight this fire came upon them maybe that was the power we see other other areas in scripture That when people hear the good news of the gospel for the first time, they speak in tongues, they prophesy, maybe there was acts of healing. We don't know what it was, but the word of God came in power. And this power and this deep conviction showed that they were both of the Holy Spirit. You see, folks, it's the word and the spirit with great power and deep conviction that came down upon the hearers. Over those weeks and months, conviction like an avalanche upon them. Transforming community is birthed by the Word and the Spirit. They are a vital combination together. And it's not just for their birth, if you like, but it continues through the work, through the growth, through the development of the church, power for and in the church. The Word and the Spirit are like the wind in the sails, pushing the church forward, empowering her, to go and follow after Jesus Christ. And the Word and the Spirit go on producing more and more, deeper and deeper, more remarkable, transforming community as they have their way among us. Look down at verse 9 and what the Word and Spirit achieved together, like that, in in Thessalonica. In verse 9 it says, this is sort of a testimony really, uh, people know they had a reputation that the church in Thessalonica turned from turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. See, these Christians we're talking about weren't religious people uh, in terms of hadn't been brought up in the church or anything like that. They were pagans. They were about as unchristian as you could get. And yet because of them hearing the word, because of them seeing and experiencing the power of the Spirit, their lives were turned upside down. They went from paganism to serving the living God. There's a preacher by the name of Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's, who's uh, long, long gone now, but he was one of the finest preachers of the, the previous century. And uh, he preached a series of talks commemorating the centenary of the 1859 revival in Northern Ireland, of all places, and Wales and Scotland. And so, during one of his talks, uh, he said this, He said, this is the thing, this unusual attestation, this indication by God that the church is his, that it is his power that is within her, that she is unique, that this is not of human beings. Men can preach, alas, I know it well. A man can preach without the Holy Spirit. I can expound the word with intelligence, but that is not enough. We need a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Men can conduct services. Men can get converts. Men can give additions to the church. But what we can never do is what God does. The Holy Spirit sent down from heaven the descent of power, this uniqueness, this special manifestation of the presence and the power of God. And this, in some ways, is the most urgent prayer that the the church can pray. Authenticate your word, Lord God. Let it be known. Let it be known beyond a shadow of doubt. Shake us. I do not ask him to shake the building, I ask him to shake us. I ask him to do something that is so amazing, so astounding, so divine, that this whole world shall be compelled to look on and say, what is this? As in the day of Pentecost, as in the times of the Reformation, as in the revival in 1859 in Northern Ireland and America and Wales and Scotland and other places. What is this, they said, what is it? And it is clear that it is nothing that man can produce or organise. It is plain that this is an act of God. God authenticating his people, their work, their message, and saying, yes, these are my people, and I am doing something in their midst that I have never done among you, and I will never do again in anyone except my people. Oh, that this would be said of Foundation Church Belfast. Would that we would see in our day an outpouring, a a movement of the power of the Holy Spirit as God's word in the Bible is opened and applied and especially for those of us who, who consider ourselves to be teachers or preachers of the Bible. Is this something that we yearn for? Is this something that we pray for? Do we plead for this fire to attend the proclamation of God's word? But not just preachers, but maybe all of us as we engage in evangelism, which is the calling of every Christian. Do you ask for power and full conviction as you share the gospel? Oh, as Isaiah prayed, oh, that you would rend the heavens, Lord God, and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence transforming community is birthed by word and spirit and why would we settle for anything less it is ours already in jesus christ we simply need to ask for more birth in word and spirit thirdly the third mark of transforming community is that it is resilient in adversity and this is the perhaps the next logical step originates in God birthed by the word and spirit and therefore it builds people of resilience it builds a community that lasts you can see what this meant to the Thessalonian Christians in verse in verse six it said and you became imitators of us and of the Lord for you received the word with much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit They had resilience and adversity and don't forget this was only written about 20 years after the ascension of Jesus Christ and persecution for most first generation Christians at that time had not yet been experienced Christianity at that time was still a very small fringe it was seen by outsiders just as a as a sect of, of Judaism and therefore it afforded the early believers some element of protection but not so the Church of Thessalonica These believers, as we'll see later on in the series, suffered affliction almost instantly. Because of the dynamics within the city at that time, opposition came rapidly. Converting to Jesus Christ then, as now, comes at a cost. There's always a risk when it comes to converting to Christ. They suffered harm from their own countrymen. Whether it was the city officials or the religious leaders whether it is closer to home through the sort of casual persecution of family and friends, which is no less hurtful and sometimes more. Whatever it was, the church, the early church of Thessalonica was afflicted. They were caused great pain. And so in this way, they imitated Paul, who, as you read the New Testament, realise you realise that he knew his fair share of affliction. In fact, when he and his friends came to Thessalonica, to this exact city, in Acts, 7, or Acts 16, it tells us that they were chased out by an angry mob. Not only chased out of that city, but they followed Paul and his companions to the next city and chased them out of there as well. Hostile to the max. They imitated Jesus. We know from Isaiah 53 that Jesus was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. But the church in Thessalonica was resilient in adversity because it says in verse 6, you received it with much affliction and with the joy of the Holy Spirit. See, affliction and joy seem to come together in the transforming community of Thessalonica. And that is what made them a resilient community. You know, we think of Jesus when when he comes to the cross and we think of him primarily oftentimes in terms of affliction and suffering. The physical punishments, the spiritual weight of the wrath of God the Father upon him for our sins. Terrible suffering to the extent that we'll never know. And indeed, that was what the cross meant for Jesus Christ. But we forget that he was the most resilient man there ever was. And even in the mixture of his death on the cross and his suffering, there was joy How do we know that? Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning at shame, and ascended to the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Can you see how transforming community starts to build people of resilience. People together, sharing one another's afflictions, however that looks, and to whomever it comes. Together, as a community, they fix their eyes on Jesus. And the gospel of Jesus becomes the context for their own suffering. When we see what Jesus did, the depths that he went, the sins that he took, the suffering that he endured, when we see what he did to unite us with God forever, then we ask ourselves, what can separate us from the love of God? What power can ultimately force us away from him? What affliction that can overcome us in our lives will cut us off from God for good? What hardships can we experience that shows that God does not truly love us? And the answer of the gospel time and time again is none, never, nothing. See, when the Holy Spirit fixes our eyes on Jesus Christ, he refreshes our perspective. He builds within us as a community resilience in adversity, affliction with joy. Mark number three of the transforming community is resilience in adversity. And fourthly and finally, the fourth mark, is that it is attractive to outsiders. And again, I think this chain from God through the Word and the Spirit, through suffering to outsiders is clear. Because a community like that that faces adversity with resilience is deeply attractive to outsiders Paul remembers the work uh, of the church he says in verse 3 uh, constantly when I'm praying to God when we're praying to God he says I'm mentioning in my prayers remembering before our God and father your work of faith your labour of love and your steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ in other words to use maybe more modern language these were the core values of the Thessalonian church this was what they were what they stood for, what they were known for. And as Paul came to pray for the churches and for the various Christians that he knew across the ancient Near East, he, he, this stuck out in his mind when it came to the church of Thessalonica. They were so clearly expressed before his eyes when he was with them. We've already seen their resilience, how they were steadfast in, in hope. But the church, it appears, didn't just stop with dealing with their afflictions. They weren't content to sit around doing nothing, even though they were being persecuted from the authorities or from closer to home. They got on and worked, it says. They laboured. They served. We, we don't know exactly what that looked like. Paul doesn't tell us. But from other, other areas in the Scriptures and the New Testament letters, we can see that they generally work is devotion to one another within the church. It is helping the poor. It is speaking the gospel to all who will hear. It is demonstrating the gospel to all who will receive it. These things and more, no doubt, were going on in the early, young, fresh, new church of Thessalonica. So much so, in verse 7, it says that you, you young believers, were an example to all the believers in Macedonia, which is the, the, the area that they were in, the sort of the region, and Achaia, which is the region next to the one they were in. An example to the believers. And the word of the Lord, it says in verse 8, sounded forth from you, like a, like a bell ringing and sounding forth into the silence. The word of the Lord went out from you. And your faith in God has gone everywhere. This great testimony of how they turned from idols to God was was going viral across their region. Their surefire hope in the return of Christ was legendary. This is transforming community. It catches fire. This is the effect of remarkable, sustained life change because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what happens, folks, when Christ is proclaimed, when the Spirit applies that in power, when people respond in humble service. How attractive that is to outsiders. We can see why their story spread across the region and beyond. It was legendary. They were an example to believers, it says in verse 7. But they were also no doubt deeply attractive to those who are outside the church as well you know the story uh, of their great turn from serving idols to serving the living and true god would have no doubt rung lots of bells with those who identified with their former way of life you see turning from pagan religion wasn't just a case of of adopting different beliefs and just getting on with life as normal to to reject and turn away from paganism or or the, the sort of uh Uh, the traditional religions in in, in Macedonia at that time, was to literally step out of social and political situations and and adopt an entirely different worldview, an entirely different social circle, entirely different political implications. It's not just a case of simply turning their beliefs in their heads. And yet this example, this attractiveness, was rooted in their experience in transforming communities. Outsiders could look in and see how their lives could similarly be changed as well. They could start to receive this joy, this resilience in that affliction. How attractive that would be as they see this church serving powerful works of the Spirit among them. What would this look like Folks, if this was true of us, of Foundation Church, if people looked at us from outside, whether they are fellow believers or unbelievers, and looked at what we were doing, and were attracted to it, because of the story of life change that's happening here, because of the works of service that we're doing in our community, what would that look like? The answer is it would look Beautiful. It would look like a beautiful church. How inspiring that could be for other gospel churches looking in. As we say to them, look at, look at what God is doing among us. It's not us. It's his transforming community. It's because he has originated, uh, it's originated in God. It's because we've been birthed through the word and the spirit. That's what's going on. God is really among us. And it is true of us already in the early stages of our lives at Foundation Church. We are, we are like a little seed, just starting to put its roots down. Or maybe like a sapling, just starting to, to take shape. And so, as we'll see as we go through this series, we are just encouraged to keep moving, to keep praying, to move deeper, to push in, to move closer. My vision for us here at Foundation Church is that we would be known for a number of different things. That we would be known for being fearless in our evangelism. That we would be known for being devoted in our service to the poor and the vulnerable in our area. That we would be known for our humility of leadership. That we would be known for being generous with our resources. May we inspire and encourage but on the flip side, may we also be inspired and encouraged by other beautiful local churches out there who are showing powerful, transforming community. May we see and celebrate God's word and spirit moving in power in other churches. How, how our city needs to see beautiful, attractive churches together for the gospel of Jesus Christ. My question for you this evening as we close is this, are you in? Are you in? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.